One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to part two of Toxic Boomer Financial Advice. Yes, if you have not checked out part one, you should check it out. Part two, we're going to focus on some of these investing ideas that may have been uh, inculcated in you, whether you like it or not, right? And are they really accurate? Do they still work in today's landscape? I think that is uh, something that we're going to discuss today. So stay tuned all the way to the end. Good morning, everyone. I welcome you to another day with the Financial Coconut. In our podcast, we're banging financial myths, discovering best financial practices, and discussing financial strategies that fits our unique life. You get it. Ultimately, empowering is great life we love while managing our finances well. So today, we are going to part two of our Toxic Boomer Financial Advice series. Um, if you have not put your comments in the comment section below, you should, right? Because I'm sure there are a lot of other advice that I uh, have not come across, but maybe very common out there. And uh, it may work, it may not work. Uh, either way, I want to hear from you. So please drop it in the comment section. Today, we are going to focus on the other big part of personal finance, and that is investing. Okay, so if you have not checked out last week's episode, I am going to do a quick recap of this idea of context. Right? So where you come from, what your beliefs does, you know, on very, very big level, uh, is determined by your experiences and your, what, what happened to you, your ideas, your ideals, your worldview, they all come from where you grew up, the context that you were in, and all the things that you've experienced. So I'm not out here to like, you know, fan some boomer hate, you know, as with how they fan millennial hate. I am very annoyed when they do that, so I'm not gonna do that. Um, let me just give you a like my tangent, huh? We're all millennials here, we tangent, okay? When boomers say millennials are very entitled, what is the underlying belief? The underlying belief is that Millennials are different from them, right? And if you turn that around, isn't that them being entitled by trying to hold on to their beliefs? Okay, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so yes, not going to go down that path, but I think there are a lot of uh, things that are trawling around the internet that is like very transgenerational, and a lot of angst and hate and disdain for, for each other, right? So I'm just going to come from the view that some of these things that they have shared you know, great, good time for them, but may or may not work for us, especially in the investment landscape. Because as you know, the investment landscape has changed over time, right? US is a dominant currency today. I don't know if you recognize the euro is a very young currency. Huh? It's only like, what, 20, 30 years? It's not that old. Okay, so, um, and Russia, in their time, you know, when they were kids, Russia was probably still a big thing. Okay, and they were like post World War, right? That was like what sixty years ago, sixty plus years ago. So it's 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 not like the world has always been like that. Low interest rate, US dominated currency, everything extremely financialized. No, okay, the world has changed, and it's going to change again. It's gonna keep changing, and as with all system, there's the birth of it, the peak of it, and then it will die, right? So as with all systems, right? So. With this idea in mind, I want us to contextualize some of the advice that the boomers have given us. And uh, 
like it or not, uh, some work, some don't work. So we're going to talk about some of the things that don't work, especially uh, in the investment space. Right? So that's the topic for today. Uh, which brings me to point number one, the first investment advice that I hear, I still hear a lot of that I think it's increasingly risky, increasingly problematic, that I feel a lot of young people need to really think about, do they still work? That is, once you make money, faster buy property, sure make money one. Sure you've heard this. I am sure you've heard this. right? Just buy property, faster buy. You should keep going up one. Sure. <sighs> right, so, <laughs> it doesn't help that the property market is filled with... Uh, Sales buyers and a lot of rubbish advice. Yes, yes, yes. You can you can come on my show. We can have a good debate. Okay, because the reality is, um, what underpins the property market? Do you know? Most people don't talk about it. And what underpins the property market is two things, right? One thing is a uh, density growth in population, right? So the population keep growing and increase in density. So fundamentally, when there's more people, the more people to house, more demand for property. Number two is a capital accumulation, right? So capital density and essentially human density underpins um, property prices, right? A lot of people come in, a lot of money slushing around that will bring property prices higher, okay? This is rules of the game, okay? It doesn't change. These are rules of the game, huh? More people come together, more money slushing around, property prices move up. Okay, not like, oh, this development ah, got shower, you know, like got rain shower, got like oh, walk, walking shelter near the house. Blah, blah, blah. Those, things don't, those things don't matter, okay? Those things, those things are finer, finer issues and finer discussions um, that fundamentally trying to differentiate very hard, like this property versus the next property. Right, but how do you know you're going to buy this property or is the next property going to be more popular? Nobody really knows. The broad idea here is a lot of people come in, a lot of money come in, the property market will boom as with any other places. So if today you bring, a, like Malacca right, or like Johor, right, there was a lot of money coming in, there were more and more Chinese people shifting into those places, property prices move. Singaporeans bought second property, third property, so money going in. Right, so if there's no increase in density of population and there's no increase in the density of capital, that means more money, then uh, it doesn't work anymore. Right, so that, that it will be <laughs> the property prices will not, you know, move as crazily as uh, what what you know what a lot of these people think. Like, oh, property prices definitely go up, and you see the slumification of property prices uh, in many other places. Um, Singapore is just a very interesting situation because 80-90% of the property is owned by the state. Okay, And uh, that is a different discussion. But with this idea in mind, then you've got to ask yourself, what is different during their time and our time? During their time, open economy, more and more people coming in, we were bringing in 10, 20, hundreds or thousands of people. I think, I think our average... Our average immigration numbers were somewhere around 50,000 mark. I cannot remember exactly. Don't mark my words. But somewhere around 50,000 mark every year, we were having more and more and more and more people coming in. Does not matter how many come in. By now, you can tell there are a lot of people here, right? So we're having more and more people coming in. And because we were going for the tax-free zone or like the friendly business environment, a lot of money was coming in. Every year, we try to report, oh, we uh, closed 100,000 foreign investment. Uh, three, uh, no, 100, 100 billion foreign investment, uh, blah, blah, blah. How, how many, how many billion, okay? Uh, which is also an overly simplified discussion because dollar into the real economy and dollar into the financial economy and dollar into the property market is different for the economy. should not be seen as a collective. 
Uh, but that's a different discussion. You just need to recognize that over the you know, 20, 30, 50, 50 years, there were more and more people coming in and there, were more, there was more and more money coming in. But we have reached a point where money has other places to go now. Okay? There are more and more other places that they can go and they, they are moving around, right? And you can see it. And there's also uh, lesser and lesser people coming in because the people now feel that it's very tight, it's getting very, very squeezy. We don't want it, right? And I, I can understand where people come from, right? It's, it's, I mean, dude, if you're, if you're um, what do you call it? If you're washing the pole, right, can touch your neighbor, of course you're unhappy. It's like, oh my God, so, so tight, so dense. So I can understand why people are unhappy with the kind of density and they don't want any more people to come in. And you can see the government has already pandered to this. So that means they're going to slow down people coming in and also probably the seismic shift of... Um, telecommute, you know, you can work anywhere. Um, it's going to affect a lot of these kind of property situation, right? Because density is going to be a question. Are we going to see density reduction? Or are we going to see density slow down? Or are we going to see uh, capital keep coming in? Right. So, so these are important ideas that we don't talk about and people blindly believe that property prices will keep moving up. The other uh, big force that will affect property prices moving forward is the government's recognition that it is a great place to tax. Right? So I actually agree with the governance when uh, they talk about it's easier to tax flow than tax wealth. It is easier to tax flow than tax wealth. Essentially, when you spend, it's easier for me to tax you when you spend than when uh, your money is kind of stagnant somewhere hidden behind multiple structures and I don't know who to tax, how to tax. Okay, So it's easier to tax flow than tax wealth. But there's this one other thing that is uh, wealth and it's very easy to tax and that's property because that thing is in your name, right? <laughs> that thing is there. It's very clear. It's not hidden anywhere else. It's in the, it's in the strata. Pretty much everybody knows that you own this property, you know, or if, if I want to govern this thing. So they have found that way and um, are starting to tax more and more, right? Cooling measures, transaction, ABSD, um, increase in property tax. All these are trying to siphon wealth from properties, and when that happens, you may very likely see property prices start to move in terms of capital appreciation. Uh, property prices, uh, in terms of their yield, start to move closer to a junk bond. Okay, which is like 8%, 6%. Uh, when, when it's that close to a junk bond, honestly, do you still want to participate in that? That becomes a big question mark. Right? So I think that is where I want all of us to think about. Right? When you make money, is it really just buying a property is best? And people tell me, oh, I feel safe. There's this thing here, uh, which I get it. I'm not discounting why you feel that way. But what is your goal? Is your goal to feel safe and have a thing? Or is your goal trying to invest and make money? If your goal is trying to invest and make money, then I'm not sure if there's a thing really matters. Right? So, uh, but yeah, this is complicated. We can uh, keep talking about this as we as we move along. But I want all of us to recognize that the property landscape is changing a lot and uh, it may not be the case anymore. doesn't mean you'll buy property, definitely make money. right? If, if mortgages move up, now it's at one point something, but if it moves up, right, if it moves up, you know, it's going to eat directly into your capital appreciation. And what about your uh, CPF accrued interest that goes back. Uh, you, you should be happy that you pay accrued interest. Uh. There's one scenario where you don't need to pay accrued interest and that is if your property never make money. 
Is that what you want? No, right? <laughs> so, so that's a different discussion, but you get the idea, right? Property is not the end-all, be-all, and I think it's a very milky space in terms of the advice and the content there, right? Everybody make it sound like, oh, buy property, sure, make money. It's not the case. Try to understand what works, okay? Which brings me to point number two, um, another boomer financial advice that is in the investment space that is very scary, huh? and that is the stock market is dangerous. Stay out of it. Under all situations, do not invest in the stock market. And uh, we'll have a little bit more of this discussion afterward from our sponsor. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, let's uh, understand a little bit that there was a period of time called the financial crisis, uh, the Asian financial crisis, when a lot of Asian economies uh, struggled. Of course, there's a dispute as to what caused that thing, uh, and I don't want to go there, but I just know that a lot of people lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost their properties, their investment, lost a lot of money in the markets. Um, I get it. I get it why people are very afraid and annoyed by it. And I want to introduce you uh, to this idea called transgenerational trauma, okay? Where it's not just unique to personal finance, but it is a pretty established idea out there now, which is this idea where you fear something, but you don't know why you fear this thing. Uh, like one simple example, Johor. Very, very, very unsafe. Uh. Johor, very unsafe. Cannot go. You must be careful. Uh. Don't walk on the streets. Uh. Watch out for people. Johor, very unsafe. Ask yourself, ask your friends, have anybody gotten into any trouble in Johor? You go KSL, you go City Square, you think what problem will follow you? <laughs> so, oh my God. Okay, and so, this is a classic situation of transgenerational trauma. There was a period of time when Johor, even Singapore, was quite messy, right? There were a lot of gangs, a lot of guns, drugs moving around. So, under such a scenario, these people grew up, right? So, our grandparents, they grew up in such an environment. So, they have this idea that Johor is very scary, right? Then they keep propagating. They tell everyone, Johor, be careful, don't anyhow, right? You must aga aga. So, a lot of, a lot of these things then move down the next generation, then moves down the next generation, transgenerational trauma, where there's some sort of fear that harbors within your head, but you have no direct experience that actually makes this fear stand. Okay, so this is transgenerational drama and it exists everywhere. All right? And at some point, you have to start to think about, hey, why am I afraid of this? Do I really have this experience? Yes and no. And it does not mean that um, if you don't experience it, it shouldn't be an advice you pick up. It's not so simple. It is just recognizing that this thing exists, transgenerational trauma, and then the next step is to try to ask, you know, uh, is this fear still valid under today's context? Right, under today's context, is this fear still valid? Okay, I'm pretty sure the Sultan of Johor does not want anything to happen to Singaporeans. 
Okay, I'm very sure because Singaporeans are bringing a lot of money. Have you seen how the economy is in shambles now? In the consumer economy in Johor, is very reliant on the Singapore population. So all the places where Singaporeans go to, you know, the governor and everybody, they want to protect the place. Right? So, so that, that is a whole different discussion. Okay, I'm not a spokesperson for Johor. Uh, but of course, uh, if you are the government and you want me to you know, be like, your face down there, like, you don't want city anymore, you want to try me, right? great, uh, I, I'm okay. Uh, but the, the idea here, transgenerational drama, then we bring back into the context of stock market is dangerous, stay out of it. This is essentially the Asian financial crisis still lingering in people's head. They're very afraid and a lot of people do treat the, the stock market like a casino. Have you not heard all the old people when they talk, wow, what can you say? You know, so there's a lot of a casino mentality, which is the gambling mentality. There's a lot of this trauma that's going around. And uh, there's also a lot of a lack of understanding of what is the function of the stock market, right? Like what, what, what is it here for? And who is participating? Um, what are you really doing? And, and that's the problem uh, that, that exists, right? that, that, that governs something like that. It doesn't help that there was a period of time. I think, I'm not sure if they still have it. I think today, a lot of people use more real money trading or real money investing. There was a period of time when margin trading was a thing and it was everywhere. You buy today, four days later, then you pay. From day zero to day four, if it goes up, if it comes down, you can make the profit. You don't even need to take out capital or you make the loss. All right, so there were a lot of these things that exists, you know, previously. And I think now a little bit different. A lot of real money trading in the market today. I'm not saying it's definitely, you know, a, a, I, I think it's better. Like, real money trading is better. But not not saying that, you know, definitely more investing or more money in the market is better. That, this is a whole different discussion. But recognizing that there were a lot of these other things that exist. Um, people lost money in the market. Uh, there was a lot of margin trading. People treated it like a casino. They don't know what's the value of the stock market. They just see people make money. They can fong, They follow. And there were a lot of people that go bankrupt in the stock market. And that's why this harbors this underlying idea that the stock market is dangerous. Stay out of it. right? And people then believe that, oh, property is the best because it's always there. And over the past... 30, 40 years, property have been going up, up, up. So like, oh, eating chuan qian, right? Definitely make money, let's only invest in property. Alright, so, so, <laughs> please, okay, this is something that uh, you can share with your parents, by the way, if, if, if you see this video, share with them, uh, help them wake up their ideas, you know, and recognize that it is not as accurate anymore. And that's not to say that put all your money in the stock market, best, practice, best practices exist, uh, manage your portfolio, and of course, yeah, if you uh, believe in broadly diversified, then diversify, right? That's a great way to diminish the volatility in your portfolio, which then um, is said to be a reduction in risk. Okay, please listen to how do you build your own portfolio, part one and part two, to, to understand what does it mean by risk and uh, what does it what is the goal of a lot of portfolio managers, right? Then you can try to contextualize and understand uh, why these why do they think like that. Okay, so this is point number two, lah, huh? which brings me, which then brings me to point number three. This one, uh, very scary, uh, very scary also. Okay, point number three is, you are my retirement plan. I invest in you, so you should give it back to me. Please, I hope this ends in our generation. Stop looking at your kids like a golden ticket. I can understand why people do that because when you are struggling, you will want to see everything as a golden ticket. I can understand. But the pain and the trauma that you know uh, a lot of parents put their kids through uh, 
just to try to be a golden ticket is very real. And they do see it as an investment. And I've also talked about why you should not see yourself as an investment, right? You are human because when people think of investing, right? The word investing underpins the idea of input and output differential profit. That's the idea of investing, right? And when you see yourself that way, oh my God, you are so dehumanizing you as an individual and just seeing yourself as a profit machine, right? So um, please check out the episode, like why you should not invest in yourself. I think it's episode 92, Right, I cannot remember exactly. You can check them out. Uh, but yes, this is something that I hope that we can stop doing. Right? Your, your kids are not your retirement plan. And I'm very happy that the state has come in to take up some of this responsibility like CPF Life. You know, for the longest time, the CPF was a system created by the British uh, so that they don't need to take care of their local citizens okay, or their colony citizens. Citizens or not, not citizens, the people in the colony. Right? So they don't need to pay pension. Uh, but of course, eventually, it reached a point where uh, CPF itself created this thing called CPF Life, which is a risk-sharing mechanism to try to uh, be more participatory in the retirement of its people, which is great. I want to see expansion of this thing. Uh, because previously, time before CPF Life, CPF was pretty much you and your employer, to be fair, just you. Right? Because as an employer, I don't see it as I'm giving 17%. I see it as this 37% is from you. I hired you with this mind that oh yeah, this extra 17% uh, is calculated into the person's salary. It's not like, oh, I give you. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so CPF life is fundamental shift to the left for economy, right? for social retirement and support. Right? So I support it. And I think um, we need to move into this space. And I want to point this out, uh, this idea of you're my retirement plan. You know, I invest in you. Uh, you should give it back. Um, as a problem that exists in our society, which is a which is a weird mix of filial piety, uh, neoliberal ideas, and you know this whole excessive financialization of everything, right? <laughs> filial piety is problematic. Okay, my view, uh, my view, filial piety is very problematic because it um, it's not about the idea in itself in the original days where Confucianism came about, but it's the whole way people use filial piety today which fundamentally uh, shaves away the responsibility of the older generation they don't they don't talk about how should you be a better elder it's always about using filial piety as a way to suppress you to listen to them and uh, just take their advice as what they or take their view as what it is right and then uh, yeah it's everything about the next generation they don't talk about how am i uh, as part of this filial piety idea how am i to be a better elder Right, they don't talk about this thing. Very problematic. Yeah, so recognize this. Retirement plan is a retirement plan. Kids are kids. Please do not put them together. And I think most of you listening in recognize this. Um, but also recognize that, you know, we are a sandwich generation. We are stuck in between. So what you probably could do is to rally unions, to rally um, for more leftist ideas of like CPF life, expanding retirement support, unemployment insurance. I think there are a lot of things that you can do more and participate in to secure your retirement and not just keep everything within this sacred family unit 
which honestly is not the smartest way. Okay, and Singapore has all the land. By the way, if you guys didn't know, okay, the Singapore government has a Land Acquisition Act, which allows it to buy back from anyone if they want to. So yeah, we do have the apparatus of the state. We do have the resources as a nation to support us, support our next generation, and break away from some of these boomer toxic financial advice. And I hope we do that. Okay, with that, I'm going to sum up today on uh, three financial advice that I think it's uh, very problematic that the boomers have shared with us um, you know, over the years of growing up. Number one is, once you make money, faster buy a property, sure make money one. It does not work that way. There was a period of time when there was more and more people, more and more money slushing around, so property prices move. By the way, if you didn't know, BTO started as an idea because there was surplus development in the property market. Okay, check out Coconut Avenue, by the way. Uh, have a good time listening to our property podcast. Okay? And number two is the stock market is dangerous. Stay out of it. This is probably a transgenerational trauma uh, during the Asian financial crisis and a lot of problems that linger after that. Right? The stock market is what it is. It is a market... Try to understand the forces, try to understand how it works, check out TFC Stock Kickout and uh, invest accordingly with best practices. Number three is uh, you are my retirement plan. Huh? I invest in you so that you can give it back to me. It's very problematic also. <laughs> Well, like like these two episodes, huh, I keep saying problematic huh, because to me, I think some of these things are very problematic. You are my retirement plan fundamentally dehumanizes the individual and causes a lot of friction and dissonance you know, at home. And uh, I hope that we can all move away from this idea and try to expand on uh, the state, right? On, on letting collective action take on more of this impact and need of retirement plans. So be a little bit more active with this, support your MPs when they push uh, leftist ideas of like, yeah, you know, the state should expand, we should spend more. It's going to be very beneficial for us, right? And uh, I do believe in that. That, that. That's my position on economics. Okay, so these are the three personal finance advice that is in the invest. Oh, these are three toxic boomer advice in the investing space, and plus the three personal finance advice uh, that is also came by the boomer in the last episode. These are some of the things that. People talk a lot about that. I think it's very problematic. And if you have any more, please drop in the comment section. I'll be very happy to consolidate and expand in this discussion. Like I said in closing, it is not about us versus them, boomer versus millennial. No, it is just recognizing where do these ideas come from? What is the context? Does it still stand today? And answer very much likely is no. Because the things you want have changed, the context have changed, the economy have changed, the forces out there have changed. As much as you want to believe things has always been like that, it hasn't. Okay? So with that, I hope you learned something useful today. See ya! Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with Financial Coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated, and let's join our community telegram group, which we have more and more people. I think we have like, what, 2,800 people? 2,000, yeah, about, about, well, we have a lot of people now, very good. And for all of you in our telegram group, you can talk more, chat more. You know, uh, I'm trying to build a safe space for you to talk, right? So don't be afraid of asking wrong questions and what have you. But if you probably say, you can follow our Instagram, and on Instagram, you can DM us, right? So there's a one to one. Great. Uh, we're on TikTok, all our socials, like, share, subscribe, five star rating, comment, you get five star, five star, important helps the algo. Uh, yeah, pretty much all of that. And if you have any other interesting things, you can email to us, comment in the below section. And I will see you next week. Meanwhile, take care.
Okay, so um, this marks the end of two episodes of Toxic Boomer Financial Advice. I am uh, gathering with the team on on like what are some good boomer financial advice that I will I will share with you. Okay, once I've consolidated, because I do think there are some good stuff. Um, I'm just trying to see if I can, you know, get more ideas. And if you if you are li- our avid listener and you want to contribute, please come to Telegram Group and share with me something that uh, your parents or your grandparents or whichever boomer you have come across that shared with you and you think is great and should be propagated. But next week. Um Next week, let's talk a little bit about the three roles you play regularly. All right, so sometimes there's this dissonance between um, this one role versus the other role. Let's say, okay, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. Right? One of the biggest roles that you play on a day-to-day basis is consumer. You are a consumer, and at the same time, you're also a money manager. So the goal of the consumer is to get the most out of the bank for the buck, right? To get the most out of the money you have. The role of the money manager is a bit different because, you know, it's looking at how to make your money work harder, right? To do more with your money. So sometimes these two roles, they fight with each other inside your head. They do, right? Which is why you feel very flustered, very annoyed. It's like, I want this, but I cannot. There's a lot of these things. And I feel that, we should establish some of these roles, understand their interest, and understand that you actually have multiple roles in you yourself. And how do you then work with all these roles to come to a better terms uh, with a better money habit, feel more comfortable, and you know, don't feel like... Sometimes these roles, because they have counter goals, you judge yourself. All right? And, and, and that, that becomes very interesting and gets into a whole realm of complex judgments. Uh, yeah, so next week we will begin with uh, the three roles that you play regularly. And with that, it will, we will push down the whole discussion of like how do you then become better in each role um, yeah, as we move along. So yeah, see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 